Yo, 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 Muddy Waters Podcast. This your boy Shaq Sims. And I'm here right now with a very special guest. Now, today's guest is the definition of a legend, man. I mean, this dude been tearing up the game for 20 plus years. Go ahead, just read it. Just read it, y'all. In the game. <laughs> So this man has been in the game for 20 plus years, tearing these Southeastern streets up. Killing the radio game, the mixtape game, the DJ, and the entrepreneur game, and even the liquor game. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And without further ado, I want to introduce the legendary DJ Shaq. B. Lord. Nah, man, I appreciate you. Definitely, I uh, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk to you and talk to the people. Yeah. In depth. In depth. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you for coming on the show. Nah, my pleasure, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah, we yeah. met. It was a genuine connection. It was, man. And I was just um, impressed by how much you seem to care about the podcast. <clears throat> you know, I, I never heard of the podcast. I, you just started the podcast, what, three months ago? Um, Seven months ago. Seven. So, seven. yeah, it's new. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I met you, I could tell that you cared about it. Mm-hmm. I could tell you were serious about it. I could tell that um, when me and you sat down, it was going to be uh, something to talk about. For sure, bro. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it, man. And, you know, you seem just as interested as I was. I am. Nah, for real, for real, man. Um, just uh, to have real, real dialogue with somebody who cares and who uh, puts enough thought into coming up with, you know, real questions, and hopefully the people are, are interested in what we got to talk about. They will be. Definitely. <laughs> if anything, they're going to get some inspiration from you. Okay. I hope so. Real shit. They will, man. They yeah. will, man. And uh, this episode of Muddy Waters is brought to you by Rock Green. Y'all know I rock with Rock Green heavy, man. That's the clothing line? Clothing line. From the Carolinas, man. Jacket is fresh. Yeah. I got, I got the... Uh Oh, yeah. yeah. It's Carolinas as well. Yes, man. Yeah, yeah, support yeah. Carolina brands. If you're from sure. Carolina, support Carolina brands, man. Absolutely. Definitely, man. And we got an event coming up on January the 19th. I will be hosting it. It's my first time ever hosting an event. Never hosted anything in my life. I saw that MLK October. weekend that Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we at? Um, I think it's, hold on, let me get the address. Let yeah, me get the address. Let's, let me let's get the give him a plug real quick. For sure, for sure. So you I'm might a, see B-Lord there. I'm going to be, um, I'm actually going to be at South of the Border that weekend. They got some radio panel music, indie music conference up at South of the Border, so I'll be up there. That's going to be dope. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be dope. The address is 8602 Farrow Road, <clears throat> Suite D in Columbia, South Carolina. It's going to be from 3 to 6, and it's going to be hosted by Muddy Waters Podcast is on Shaq Sims. There it is. There it is. So, B-Lord, man. Mm-hmm. 20 plus years in this game, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, how does it feel? Um, I feel like I'm still fresh in the game, to be honest, man. I love it. I love uh, I love business, first and foremost. Like, um, of course, I love music, being a DJ. Mm-hmm. But DJing the music is almost like second nature to me at this point. Um, like, my passion and kind of like my... Uh, what I get super excited about and what uh, keeps me getting up early and staying up late every day is uh, the different kind of aspects of business and how to apply that uh, to music and other things like liquor, um, like marketing and stuff like that. The red cup kickback, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's dope, man. Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, um, if we're, you know, any of us at any point in our life, if we're lucky enough to care about something enough 
um, to stick with it long enough mm-hmm. to see the fruits of it and to see it turn into something else and to grow and to branch off and, and, and turn into other things, I think that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest blessing we could ask for other than, you know, health and family. Yeah, it is, man, because it's nothing like having a fulfilling career. Real shit. Nah, that's, like that's that. the realest shit ever. Um, it's got to be fucked up to get up in the morning and hate going to work or hate dealing with people that you don't want to deal with or, you know, it's just got to, that's got to be, I've been there. You know, I did, I did McDonald's and Little Caesars before. For real? I, I laid tile in the hot summer sun before. <laughs> I, you know, I, I worked in houses in summer that didn't have no AC laying tile in the bathroom. So I know what it feels like not to like, like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So to actually care about what I'm doing um, is a huge blessing. Yeah, definitely, bro. And that's probably why you stay looking so young, man. <laughs> nah, it's the... Because you love what you do, man. It's the beard dye. It's the beard dye? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep it a buck. You going to plug the brand? Nah. You ain't going to plug the brand? Nah, I ain't giving away the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give them the sauce, man. Nah, no secret sauce. Yeah, man. So, B-Lord, man, where are you from? Because they call you a low country legend. Are you originally from the low country or... Nah, that's a good question. And um, So, I was born in Charleston. Okay. But I was born in Charleston because at the time my parents were living in Cross, South Carolina. You know where Cross is? I heard of it. It's that like it's Berkeley County, so it's it's probably like thirty minutes from Charleston, but it's a super small town, so there's no hospital there, there's no doctor's offices there. So we had to go to Charleston for my mom to have me. So um really born in Cross, spent most of my uh, you know, like younger years in Cross, Utahville, Holly Hill. Um, then I moved to Florence where my mom and pop separated. Lived in, went to high school in Florence, graduated high school in Florence. Then I moved back to Charleston. Uh, when I got a radio gig in Charleston, I lived there for four or five years. Then I came to the Met in 06, and I've been in the Met since 06. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, people ask me where home is. Uh, Florence feels the most like home to me because I, I went to high school there. That's actually where I actually started, like, DJing, uh, prof- you know, professionally getting paid to DJ. I was fucking with the DJ shit before when I was living in Holly Hill, but I was, like, super young. Yeah. I ain't jumped off the porch yet. So, Florence feels the most like home. Okay. Now, how was it growing up? Like back in that time, like uh, <laughs> how was it? No, 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 no. What I, what nah, I mean it by was that? A, not not nah, saying it was a, like it's a good question. It was a long time ago. No, I'm not saying it like no, that. No, no, I'm gonna answer the question <laughs> like like before phones and shit. Yeah, but you know before they had cars with wheels and shit. You know they was riding with. <laughs> Nah, nah, it's a good question. And before you before you elaborate on your question, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an answer. I grew up like in the country, country, country. Like this is Columbia, South Carolina. So a lot of people might look at Florence like that's country. Mm-hmm. No, I grew up in the country, country. Like cross South Carolina, Utahville, South Carolina. There's a lot of beautiful people. There's a lot of good people, but it's super country. And back in those days, yes. Pre iPhones and shit, you know, before before the the uh, Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, yeah. it was country as fuck. So mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the country, you basically um you have to use your imagination a lot. You have to be creative when it comes to like finding shit to do and things to keep you busy and occupied. So is that <laughs> growing up in those times? Nah, <laughs> nah, 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 nah. What I was about to say was growing up in that time, you know, hip hop wasn't as big as it is right. now. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, so. Growing up, like, was hip-hop a big part? Well, not even hip-hop. Was music a big part of your household? Yeah, it was. Um, moms and pops always listened to music. They wasn't, like, diehard fans, but, you know, moms had the big-ass fucking comp- radio component set that sat in the living room with the 
turned the big clunky turntable on it in the radio. So um, music was always on in the house. But when I moved to Holly Hill um, and went to started elementary school in Holly Hill, I had a music teacher, and she was cool as shit. And she used to let us bring music to music class to play like play different musics in classes. She would, you know everybody was bringing different uh, records and shit. And that's kind of like when I really started to like understand. Uh, how much music meant to me because it was like damn everybody was bringing different music and all the shit was dope It wasn't just like one kind of music. It was different types of music And then my mom really supported my music shit because uh, she like she used to play the piano or, or want to play the piano She was like trying to play the piano. Mm -hmm. She was like really in the music So she brought me my first trumpet, you know, I played trumpet and shit at elementary school Yeah, um, and moms was always there kind of like support the music shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's dope that's Yeah, really it dope. is dope shout to moms. Yeah now, did you grow up in the church? Like, did y'all like, um, you know, sing on the choir and listen to gospel, or uh, was it? I, I never thought about that. My grandmother actually used to play uh, the organ in church, uh, but that not really. Like, we went and, uh we didn't go to church a lot. Okay. Not as not as much as we should have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of musical people, um, I'd be surprised. No matter how their upbringing was, a lot of them grew up in the church. Church. Absolutely. Come on, dudes with face tats singing the choir. I'm like, bro, you singing the choir? Because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's music, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. It yeah, is. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's music. And they caught the music bug early. Yep. So when did you first hear hip-hop? And did you fall in love with it immediately when you heard it? It sounds cliche as fuck, but I did. Like, the first time I heard nah, real shit, the first time I heard, and this is going to definitely tell you, like, back then, those days. It was, Don't age yourself, Nah, <laughs> real shit. It was tapes, right? Mm -hmm. Tapes and, like, right before CDs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So... I used to try to find like shit that I could trade people for cassette tapes. You know what I'm saying? So I would like get a watch or I would, you know, I hate to say I would steal something like a bike or something and like be trading it for tapes that people had. Cause this was way back in the day before music was like readily available and it definitely wasn't cheap. Like now we got it on our phone and streaming, it's pretty much free. Mm -hmm. Back then, you know, music was, it cost money to get a fucking record or a tape or a CD or whatever. So I was, um, I, I caught the bug with hip hop um, and I think, to be honest, like, it was the sonics of the music, like, the way the music actually sounds, like, the drums and shit, and, the, you know, the bass lines in the 808, but it was also just, like, the aggression mm. in the music, because when you were a young man, you know, and you coming up, you know, most of us, we got a lot of built-up aggression, whether mm -hmm. it's coming from shit that's going on. Uh, in the household or whatever's coming on from shit going on in school or mm -hmm. in the streets. We got like a lot of built up aggression that we don't necessarily know how to uh, express. And like hip hop just used to like give me an outlet where I could just go in my room and play music and like release <laughs> some of that aggression and get it out of me. You mm -hmm. feel me? What was some music that allowed you to do that? Like if you could think of an album, cause you know, growing up for me, you know, I have those albums that I immediately, readily, if I listen to them, or like if what? I think about them, like I go what? to it. Like, um, um, what's the Lil Wayne album? Uh, Carter 1, 2, 3? No, before that. 500 Degrees? Before that. What? Uh, what was it? Lights <clears throat> Out? Okay. Lights Out, that album. Yeah. Like, that brings me back to being six years old. But that's the power of music, though. Yeah. Like, the whatever, especially when you like, you know, young, six to I say like sixteen. Mm -hmm. Those years are like I think when music really you form your musical taste during those years. Of course you can grow as you get older and you listen to different shit. Mm -hmm. You can expand your musical taste. But I think like when you're young, those first five or six years of music, that really like kinda ingrains in you 
what type of shit you like. Because mm-hmm. I think it speaks to you more. It's, raw, it's more raw. Like, the older we get, the more filters we have. Mm-hmm. Like, say, I don't like this shit because he's from over there. Or I don't like this shit because he's affiliated with that. But when you're young, you really don't give a fuck about that. Mm-hmm. You, you just, like, accepting the music in its rawest form. And it, it just speaks to you. So I think those younger years are like when you really kind of like just form your your most purest musical taste, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the earlier artists, like all the classic hip hop motherfuckers, like, uh, you know, Run DMC, LL Cool J, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, Public Enemy, um, like all the early aggressive hip hop. I would never really into like, um, uh, like the the playful type of hip hop, like Kid and Play back in the day. Nothing against them, but that's just just wasn't the type of music that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. It didn't really, it, you know, I, I could I, I didn't connect with it. Right. I appreciated it for what it was, and then that's kind of like as I as I got older, I started to learn my role as a DJ. Is I don't always have to like love the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because it's as a DJ, it's really not all about you. Mm-hmm. It's more about uh, you know, the people and the people that you're trying to connect with. Mm-hmm. What do they like? What are their musical tastes? And I think that's one of the greatest things <clears throat> about the musical landscape these days is it's such a big variety of music, such a big variety of hip-hop. Like, anybody that complains about the quality of music or the quality of hip-hop in 2020, I think they're just uh, they're just a hater or they're just fooling themselves and they haven't quite understood that it's shit out there for everybody, yeah. no matter what you like. Mm-hmm. Or they're just a nigga that wanted to be a rapper that never made it. Or it could be that. <laughs> nah, real shit. Real talk, though. It could though. be that. You yeah. know? But I see a lot of people talking about hip-hop like, oh, music is so whack now. First of all, nah. you know, money is back in music now with streaming. For sure. Money, and you see this luxurious plaque back here. Yeah, and I didn't, make a, I didn't make a dime off those streams, by the way. Oh, my God. But, but it's just showing the power. The power. The power. The power. The ten, power. Ten, 10 billion streams for one artist, a hip-hop artist. Fairly new hip hop artist. He's been around a few years. He already racked up 10 billion streams. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Shout to QC. Um, shout to Capital Records. Shout to Lil Baby. Mm-hmm. Shout yeah. out to them. Yeah. You know, and I say all that to say, you know, the the power is back into the artist's hands now. And then there's so many different artists and different types of artists out there to where you can't complain. You got Kendrick Lamar at the top of the game. You mm-hmm. got J Cole at the top of the game. Drake. Then you got Roddy Rich. Then you got. Lil Nas X. You can get whatever type of music that you want to get. And the list literally goes fucking on and on and on. It does, bro. There's so many new artists that got like a substantial buzz, even if it's just a regional buzz. It's just so many artists doing so so many different types of music. It ain't shit to complain about. Right. Like Nipsey Hussle, RIP, before he died, he got nominated for a Grammy for Victory Lap. Crazy. You know what I'm saying? And he was just warming up. He was just warming up, bro. He was just warming up. He was just warming up. Yep. Definitely. R.I.P. Nip, man. Absolutely. R.I.P. Nip. Now, what did you aspire to do as a kid, man? Um, I mean, like, I'm kind of like like I was then how I am now. I tried a lot of different shit, and I kept trying different shit. Like, uh, my grandfather was, uh, he wasn't a farmer, but, you know, we lived in the country, so he had a garden, a big garden. He had, like, cows and pigs and chickens and shit. And uh, in the summertime, I used to spend summers with him. And he used to let me. He used to let me dig up his peanuts, and we would boil the peanuts, and I would bag the peanuts up in little brown paper bags and go stand in front of Piggly Wiggly and like hustle the peanuts. So I was always trying a little different shit like that, just trying to figure, you know, for one, figure out ways to make money, because mm-hmm. uh, I knew I, at a young age I wanted to be a DJ and equipment wasn't cheap. Um, but you know, to this day, I just uh, I try to try a lot of different shit. Some stuff I'm interested in for two weeks. Some stuff I'm interested in for two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel me? It's just trying to try my hand at different shit that I'm interested in and find the sweet spots and um, 
figure out the pockets that make sense for me uh, to kind of like dive deeper into. Right. So you boiling peanuts, you know, selling them in front of the store. Did your granddad want to cut or was he just like, nah, you keep that? Like that's Nah, you. grandpa's didn't want to cut. I think he was just happy to get me the fuck out of his house for a little while. Because <laughs> me and my cousin Jimmy, rest in peace, was, you know, we went shit together. You know, when me and, me and my cousin Jimmy got together, it was a lot of shit. Like Jimmy used to be growing weed in the backyard. Uh, sneaking corn liquor into the house and we tearing shit up. So, nah. Grandpa's was super cool. It's funny you say that, though. I just thought about it. My pops used to want to cut and all he did was drop me off at the store and pick me up from the store. That's I just thought, that. I got to talk to pops about that. I never thought about that. Yeah, man. You yeah. got to talk to pops about that. <laughs> that's not for real. The man who's plotting with it. He didn't want to cut, but you want to yeah, cut. Is he nah. dropping me off and picking me up? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a bullshit. That's <laughs> yeah, some bullshit, pops. Now, you say you always knew you wanted a DJ. Like, when did you know that? And what made you want to get, get into becoming a DJ? Because... I mean, like back then, of course, you know, in that era, you know, and I'm not trying to date you, man. Nah, I'm, we good, we good. I'm past that now. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, back in that era, though, they said the DJ was the most important aspect of the hip hop industry mm -hmm. at that time. It wasn't the rapper. The rapper was just the MC for the DJ. Right. So was it the fact, did you want to become a DJ because <clears throat> that's the time you were living in, the DJ was most important, or was it just like you were seeing somebody else doing it, and what, what was it? That's a good question. I think, like, when hip-hop really first started, which was a little bit before I got into it, uh, the DJ, it was definitely a DJ thing, like, with Grandmaster, Flash, and Cool Herc, because they had the speakers and they had the turntables, and they just needed somebody to talk while they was DJing. Mm -hmm. But a little later, like, rappers very easily and very quickly took the spotlight from the DJs. Don't get it fucked up. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I actually liked playing the backer ground versus being in the front. I never really wanted to be want all the focus to be on me. Yeah, I wanted to be a part of the conversation and part of the picture, but I was 100% cool with kind of like being the, the person kind of like further back out of the spotlight. Because to be honest, I saw from a young age, um, I realized that the person in the spotlight isn't always the person that's kind of like making shit shake and move. Mm, you feel me? AKA the one with the money. Not, not <laughs> I mean, yeah, that too. But like, I enjoy, like, I, I actually enjoy the mechanics and the com different components of like business and entertainment. Like, mm -hmm. I enjoy knowing about it and kind of like having influence over that part of the game. Versus, uh, you know, some people really like performing. Some people like entertaining. Some people like being in front of the camera and being the focus. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. A lot of people get super rich doing that. But for me, that just wasn't never really my thing to be. That, that the person in the front. Okay. So that's that's one. I love music. Uh, I realized young that I could make make some money d being a DJ. So when I realized that I could do something I love, um, it just clicked. It just worked. Yeah. 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 So were you always like one of the first people onto the music, like the music that you were listening to at that time? Because I mean. A lot of times, me getting put on music, especially back in the day when I was growing up, the first time I would hear a song was in the club. Yeah. Well, it not team party stuff like that. Like, were you always like first on the music? Not always, but it did come to a point where I realized the value in being first. So I would take extra steps to try to get the music before most people had it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, and I mean that was really like some of the like. That's when the D, like these days DJs don't really have that much power anymore. Yeah. We still definitely contribute with part of the conversation, but you know, from like the early 2000s uh, up until probably late 2000s, 
DJs were really actually quote unquote breaking records. Um, streaming came along, the internet came along, and now now the power of the music is more in the consumer's hand, mm -hmm. which I think that's dope. I think that's good. I think that's when you really get the a, a better variety of music because you have less gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. DJs at some point were playing the role of gatekeepers. They was like, yo, if I don't break this record, or if I don't like this artist, or if I don't fuck with this this company or this label then basically some people ain't gonna get to hear it. Like now we passed all that, you mm -hmm. know? Artists go direct to consumer, labels go direct to consumer. So I think it's just a better setup and a better landscape uh, for definitely for people who fuck, love music, mm -hmm. um, but definitely for the artists and for the labels as well. Yeah, cause like I feel like there are two DJs now, two different types of DJs now. You have, you know, of course your regular DJ like you guys, you know, especially once you put in that groundwork for real, for real. Yep. I'm talking about break, tr still trying to break records in the club. Because oh, yeah, records yeah. do get broken in the club. Fucking right. No, records still, do get it's broken still in the ways club. for DJs to break records. It is, because it's yeah. songs getting broken in Atlanta strip clubs and strip clubs in South Carolina yep. to this day. But then you got your unorthodox playlist. You got Triller. Yep. You got the explore page, and then yep. you got the playlists. Absolutely, those are that's where the music is broke. Yes, the majority of the music. But if a DJ's passion is breaking, like if a DJ's passion is new music and new artists, you can get creative mm -hmm. and create your own channels and your own platforms. Mm -hmm. Nobody's stopping a DJ from starting a new music podcast. Nobody's stopping a DJ from creating their own playlist and sharing it on whatever platform. Shit, nobody's stopping a DJ from putting their twenty favorite songs on a jump drive, on a USB drive, printing up a thousand from Alibaba, from China, and then handing those out. Like, nobody's stopping DJs from being creative. I think right now, only the DJs that are really passionate and really care about breaking artists and breaking new music are finding ways to do it. The mm -hmm. DJs that were only in it for a check or maybe only in it because they were in that position to break music, now they've kind of like fallen to the wayside and started doing other stuff. But like DJs that are still passionate about working hand in hand with artists and breaking new artists, they'll find ways to do that. That's mm -hmm. if that's the, what they're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Like Mustard. Like what Mustard yeah. is doing with his whole putting together albums, producing. Yep. And that's on a high artists. level. You yep. know, that's on a real high level. But I'm even talking about like, you know, locally and regionally, DJs that out here grinding, um, and just connecting with artists and finding ways to help the artists amplify their music and their presence. Mm -hmm. There's still room for that. Yeah. Without a doubt. There's probably more room now than ever because nobody's really paying it that much attention anymore. Mm -hmm. So if a DJ's super hungry and they're super creative and they can figure out ways to network and build their platforms, and I think it's just as much opportunity now than ever for DJs to play that role of, of breaking music. Yeah. 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 And then if they really got hustle and they really smart and they put a small team together, they got a producer, um, you know, they got a blog or a podcast or whatever, and they build their own little fucking squad, mm -hmm. that could be really powerful. It can. Yeah. It definitely can. Like, um, you know, speaking of another podcast, Breaking Music, like, uh, Gilly the Kid has a podcast. Yep. It's called Million Dollars Worth of Game. They break songs in there all the time. That's a good example. And I haven't watched a lot of this shit, but their podcast is dope. It's funny as it's fuck. Funny as and fuck. that's a really creative way to break music because why are you listening to the podcast because you fuck with them and it's funny, you get new music. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that. That's They're a great example. playing shit every yeah. episode in the beginning. That's a good example. Joe Button, too. Yep. Joe Button, man. Yeah, with the little shit they do at the end. What is it? Um... Sleepers. There you go. Sleepers. Yeah, yeah. Another creative way to break music. Yeah. Yep. You can't be giving these dudes sauce, man. You're I'm giving not. these dudes the free game, man. Golly. I'm, not, I'm just talking about what I see out there. Yeah. Nah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. He, if he's telling you a way to break a record, he's probably already tried. And I mean, he got like, his own way that he ain't telling I, you about. Nah, but speaking of that, just to keep it like... 
100% real, like, it's no formula on how to do this shit. Nah. And, and that's anything, not just music, but since we're talking about music, there's no formula. Like, you can mm -hmm. do, you just have to be creative. Mm -hmm. You have to be smart. You can't do it like the last person. Mm -hmm. You can learn from the last person, learn from their mistakes and their successes, but I think at the end of the day, you have to be super creative, you have to be smart, you have to look at the landscape, find out where the gaps are, find out who's not doing something, identify those gaps, and then dive in and, you know, make your own lane. Mm -hmm. And that's with anything, that's with music or any other business or whatever. There's no excuse with, with technology we got and everything readily available, like you're doing with your podcast, there's no excuse not yeah. to find a way to do what the fuck you want to do. Yeah, there's no excuse at all. I always tell people, like, people come to me like, yo, I want to do this, I want to do that. I'm like, bro, just do it. Just fucking start. I didn't have no audio engineer homies. Like, I had a homie who told me, yo, you need this, you need that. He didn't teach me how to use it. Google. YouTube. YouTube yeah. taught me everything I know. Dude, it can teach everything. you anything. I swear. It can teach you how to... Man, I got... My tire blew on my car when I was coming <laughs> back from Atlanta. Real shit. And my lug nut was stuck. I was on the side of the interstate in the rain. Dude, before YouTube, I couldn't fix shit around my house. <laughs> now, real shit. Now, yeah. like, I can damn near fix anything at the house. Yeah. Yeah, plumbing shit, too. Like, it got a link under the fucking kitchen sink. I might can fuck with that, too. With confidence, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <Not real. laughs> with confidence. Yeah, yeah. Your, your wife couldn't be like, babe, it. Nah, I got it, man. I got it. Hold tight. We don't need no Just fucking chill. plumbing. Yeah, we don't need none of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, you, YouTubers out here making men on motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? It really is, bro. Yeah. And making millionaires. Yeah, that too. It's oh, definitely, definitely making people uh, millions of dollars for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, like, when it comes to anything, it's going back to the music and breaking music and DJs and all that. It's about sticking with some shit. You feel me? Nice. If you really care about something enough and it's really that important to you, um. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna you gonna it's it's gonna be a, a lag in time before when you start the shit to when it's you start to see some progress. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Most of the time, sometimes you jump out out the gate and it takes off immediately. But most times, it's gonna take you're gonna have to fuck up. It's gonna be boring for a while. It's gonna be repetitive. Mm -hmm. You could have some um some times where ain't nobody watching the podcast, listening to the podcast, whatever. But you just gotta stick with it. And that's fundamental shit with anything in life. That's not just music. I mean, that's just like that shit my grandfather used to tell me. You yeah. know, it was like just basic shit. Yeah. You know? Yep, exactly. Like in the beginning when I first started my podcast back up, you know, um, People weren't responding to me. People weren't DMing yeah. me back. But luckily, I had a back catalog of podcasts from three years ago. So the goal is to put out a podcast every week. Let's say I don't have a guest for that week. Yeah. I'm putting out an episode anyway. I'm going to put out a throwback from 2016 on there. Yeah. 2017. Smart. Yeah. So now, Smart. I haven't had to do that in like two months. You got fresh shit. I just kept going. New episodes. Yeah, just yeah. kept going. And I think that's important, man, because like you got to make the time for what you're doing. Yep. You know? If you spend out two, three episodes a week, that's going to take time to do it. But you're constantly getting better. Like you said, you're constantly building your catalog. And before you know it, three months, six months, nine months from now, you could look back and it, it's gonna, shit is going to add up. Mm -hmm. And it's going to actually give you something to stand on mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah. And again, I think there's just uh, anything, anything in life you're trying to do. You got to be willing to put in the work and do the boring shit, do the mundane shit, the shit that you don't want to do, the shit that sometimes is difficult, sometimes it's uncomfortable. You got to be strong enough and just have enough fucking nuts just to power through and do it. Thanks. Yeah, that and people fact. people will talk shit about you, laugh at you. Your numbers ain't high. Your music ain't this. What? So the fuck? What? Like who? Like who cares? Right. 
because everybody started here. Yeah. Everybody started here. Yeah, and I know some people make it seem like they didn't. Some people want to paint a picture like out the gate, they was doing this, that, and a third. But like we all know, mm -hmm. you start from zero. I don't give a fuck who you are. Jay-Z started from nothing. No label wanted to sign him. Yeah. I mean, it's a million examples. Holding <laughs> like real shit. Facts. Like anybody is fucking successful. Mm -hmm. Especially in music. Like you start from nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now speaking of that, right, that's a good segue. You know, what did your family think? Because you from the low country of South Carolina. You telling your mom, your granddaddy who letting you pick peanuts. I'd imagine. I can see your granddad being a guy, you know, overalls, boots, yep. or whatever. Yeah, well, you telling me you want to be a DJ, like, what? Well, I mean, luckily, like, my grandpops, he was, um, he was retired Air Force. Uh, he was retired from the Air Force. He didn't actually go to the Air Force. I think he worked on planes or something. So, like, he was retired from the Air Force. Um, and like I said, he's real, like, country like farms fucking with cows and shit like that we used to like pick vegetables out out of his garden and he was sell them on the side of the road like you see people on the side of the road with the vegetable stand that's what he did so i don't even think he had a clue like he didn't know what the fuck i was doing yeah but my mom she knew and she was always the one like encouraging it you know what i'm saying she was always the one like vouching for me like not nah, just let him cook let him do what he does let's get him get him the trumpet or get him the little fucking record player, buy him that record. You know, she was always the one that was kind of like, just kind of like pushing me along. Pops, like once Pops seen that I could make a little change off of it, that's when he was like, that's when he kind of gave me some space and backed up. It was like, all right, do what you do. Just let me get my 10%. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pops yeah, Pops was kind of gangster with it. He was gangster with it? Gangster with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pops wanted the duckies. When yeah, you brought in that chain, that, that money, his eyes lit up. He's like, oh, you can make money from this? Yeah, nah. Because I remember, like, at one point, I was, like, 16 or 17, and I had this, uh, I was a house DJ at this one club. Like, I used to do that shit every Friday and Saturday. And it wasn't a lot. It was, like, 150 a night or whatever. And I remember at one point, like I said, I was 16 and 17. I got to an argument with the club owner um, for whatever reason. And I was, like, thinking about quitting that shit. Mm -hmm. Pops was like, you must be out of your fucking mind. You making $150 a night, $300 a week for DJing for, like, four or five hours. Like, what are y'all alternatives at 16? So he basically kind of, like, brought me back to reality. Um, and, that, you know, like I said, once he seen that I could actually bring in some, some change doing the shit, he was cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you 16 making that type of paper, right? What is that doing to you? I was still working at McDonald's during the week, too, though. Like, I was working at McDonald's yeah. during the week, going to school, and then DJing Fridays and Saturday nights. I was like, you know, shit, 16 years old. Uh, I spent. I just wanted to spend that shit on clothes. Like every fucking dollar I got, I would spend that shit on clothes or music. Like you know, go to the record store, buy the vinyl. That's when DJ still use vinyl and shit. So I was going to the store. <laughs> no Serato. <laughs> no Serato yet. <laughs> Buying records, you know. Shit, I was living the life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what were you wearing at that time? What was the what was DJ oh, B-Lord's perfect outfit? Duh, my fucking wardrobe was still trash. Even even <laughs> even with a, a a side hustle and a and a job, my. Like, I don't even know, fam. It was definitely not name brand shit. It wasn't? Nah. Even though you making that type of brand? I mean, my sneakers was probably name brand shit, but, like, the uh, the gear was just whack. I didn't have good taste in clothes. You didn't? Nah, nah. My, my shit was terrible. It's still kind of trash, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, thank God for fucking Instagram and shit. I can, like, see all oh, this shit is kind of hot. Yeah. My, my taste. Nah, I like regular shit, man. Like, I was never even... Uh, when I started making money, like, I was never into all the design, like, the high expensive designer shit. 
That's really to me, like I'll be hundred percent honest. I get it. I understand why motherfuckers do it. Mm-hmm. I just it, to me it's a waste of bread. Like I got so many other things I would rather do with my bread yeah. than spend it on designer clothes. You know, no offense to nobody who does it. Like I said, I definitely understand, I get it, but that just ain't me. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Like I'd imagine, you know, with you being in the lifestyle, you being around the industry and stuff like that, you pick up and be like, you know what, I wanna shine too. Nah, I mean go I back and look shine. at the pictures. Like I standing next to motherfuckers who got on probably thirty, forty thousand dollars worth of jewelry. I got on my little five thousand dollar eight four three piece or these motherfuckers rock Gucci product, Balenciaga, whatever. I got on my Levi's and my Jordans. Um mm. it's just what I was comfortable in. And again, I think that goes back to me not wanting to be all the way in the spotlight. Like I was way more comfortable being the DJ in the background, like helping uh, you know, move the pieces around. Yeah. Yeah. Word. Now, being that you were 16 DJing in the club and stuff like that, I'd imagine, you know, you probably did that for a couple of years. Now, were you comfortable with doing that or was it like it's another level I need to get to? Like as nah, far as me I, being a DJ. I love doing parties. Like okay. I love doing clubs. That was always um, just that one club though you, you see what I'm saying Did you oh, yeah, yeah, graduate yeah, yeah. No, to doing no. more Like nah this ain't enough Yeah like, at that time I was just kind of like Holding me down With the week to week Money shit mm-hmm. uh, I definitely knew It was going to come a time When I wanted to branch out And it wasn't long after that Like I said I got into an argument With that club owner And not long after that I started throwing my own parties You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying Like renting out the National Guard Army And shit like that And packing in six, seven, eight hundred people And now I'm getting all the bread um, And you know That was mainly because Uh the club owner tried to like, you know, I can't stand for somebody to like try to box me in or hold me back. And that's what he was trying to do. That's what we were arguing about. Um, so from that moment, that young age, I realized that it's all really in your control. You know, it may not be instant, but like for you to take that first step and that first, uh, you know, jump off the porch and do shit yourself and pursue your interest versus just being comfortable and relying on somebody else's machine to take care of you. Um, that's kind of like when I realized that that's the move. Like, mm. that's the only way to do this shit. Yeah. Yeah. That conversation woke you up. Yeah, for sure. And um, that's really what kind of like sparked my whole kind of like fire to become like a, a, you know, a quote unquote name brand DJ because at that moment I realized that's the only way it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that it was on, on me, you know what I'm saying, to like to grind it out and to make that happen, whatever that meant, you know what I'm saying, whatever that meant. Yeah. I knew that it was on me, and I, did, I couldn't wait on anybody else to do it. Where would you get like that boss mentality from? I think it goes back to like my grandfather, you know, my pops. My pops um, was an entrepreneur. He wasn't at first, but later in his life, like he started his own business, like refinishing bathtubs. Um, and I, he started that when I was probably 15, 16, so I got to see him do it. And to be honest, like, just working at McDonald's, fam, I was like, yo. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this shit. Like, and it wasn't just because it was McDonald's. It was like, yo, you got to wear this. You got to put on the fucking hat. You got to put on the slacks. You can't, you, they wouldn't even let you have a beard. Right. So I'm like, there's no way I can do this and shit. And it's not even worth the money that they're giving Bruh, me. Bruh, it's just like, it, nah, I just realized right then and there, it was like, I can't fucking do this. I have to, um, I have to be my own boss. You know what I'm saying? I have to be the, accountable for me. Yeah. You feel me? At 16, uh, you knew that. I definitely knew that at the age of 16. Wow. But I also knew that, I, you know, I also accepted the fact that that might not be able to happen tomorrow. So it took me a few more years of grinding it out, making plays here and there, doing other shit on the side before I actually realized that. But I definitely knew it at that time that there was no way that I was going to work a nine to five. Wow. Yeah. 
How did you and your family was supportive of that? Like you being your own. Well, boss, it was just me and my pops because him and my mom split up. So my pops was that he was one hundred percent with it, one hundred percent because that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Like he he was able at some point to quit his job mm -hmm. and do the, the the bathtub refinishing and all that shit full time. Um, so he was definitely one hundred percent with it. That's love. Yeah, yeah, it was. Now that was a blessing within itself because I know a lot of people's parents um, just don't see the vision. But I think him being the man that he is. Um, you know, having that entrepreneurial kind of like spirit, not wanting to work for anybody else. I think that's the only way that uh, I was able to kind of like maneuver that that way without the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'd imagine, you know, especially when you want to become your own boss and stuff like that. And like you said, you knew it wouldn't be easy. What are some pitfalls that you face like early on? Like when you trying to expand, of course, you being a DJ, you're talented, right? People want to book you. They want to have you become the house <clears> DJ. What are some pitfalls you face when you want to do? actually expand and start throwing your own parties and doing your own thing? Um, that's a good question. I mean, like, it's always a, a you going to have to make sacrifices. So, like, a lot of people talk shit about DJs who are out here DJing for $150. <clears throat> that's not always a bad move. It's a lot of bread. I mean, but, it, you know, people, people talk, some people talk down on DJs who DJ for $150. They're like, they should be charging more. Um, but when you first start out, you know, a lot of time that's that's your that's a way for you to get your name out. Yeah. That's a way for you to get your foot in your door. That's a way for you to build your brand. Um, so I think it works both ways. You gotta always know your worth, but at the same time, you gotta be realistic about where you're at and where you need to go and how you're gonna get there. So I mean, pitfalls like being a DJ, uh, being a businessman, being an entrepreneur is always just learning how to take calculated risks. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't like like they think it's cool to risk it all. I don't think it's cool to risk it all. I think it's cool to make calculated risks. I think you should be strategic no matter what you do. I don't give a fuck what you do in life, whether it's doing a podcast, being a DJ, business owner, whatever. You have to be strategic, meaning you have to put some thought into the moves you make. You got to think about the landscape of, of the industry you're in. You got to think about the competition. You got to think about what other people are doing. You got to think about what other people aren't doing. Because maybe there's a gap right there. Maybe nobody's doing this certain one thing. Maybe you happen to be good at that or you could do that. So it's just, I think, bottom line, being a successful DJ or whatever, rapper, uh, manager, label owner, whatever, is just be strategic. You know, learn from, learn by watching some of the greats. You know, go back and study some of the greats who've been able to pull it off in a big way like Master P. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or whoever. Mm -hmm. You know, more recent <clears throat> example would be um, Coach KMP from mm -hmm. QC. Mm -hmm. You know, just study the greats and how they move. They're not dumb people. Yeah. You know, dumb motherfuckers don't make it big and keep it. Nah. Study the people who was able to make moves and withstand the losses and withstand the speed bumps and, and, and jump the hurdles and still pull it off. That's why I salute, like, you know, QC. Uh -huh. They've been able to pull off almost the unthinkable in the modern era of music. And be innovative. And still be innovative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they still not done. They still got a long ways to go. Nah, they do, bro. And, yeah. and, and I haven't seen a label. Nah. I haven't seen a label swing that many times and, and hit. hit. Yeah. Lit, I'm talking about literally. Yeah. From the Migos, Jose Guapo, Skipper the Flipper, OG Mac, <laughs> yeah. Lil Baby, Marlo, City Girls. Yeah. I mean, the and list goes still, on. And they still got a stable of, like, fresh artists that they're still grooming and still, like, you know, they're waiting in the wings, waiting for their shot. So yeah. it's far from over. The last label I saw do that was Rockefeller. Probably so. With that many artists and that many artists being successful? That's true. That's a good example. 
Yeah, yeah. That's my favorite era in music. Rockefeller? Yes. Yeah, that was a special time. <laughs> Man, just that whole time. I'm talking yeah. about Dipset. That's Cash Money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that's a special time. That's a special time, that's a special time <laughs> yeah. man. I was a jet. Uh-huh. Yeah, now they man. did it like bigger than life though cuz I think back then it was um like like that's when you still had gatekeepers. So it, like once you got through the door, like the world was yours. You know what I'm saying? So it, it always seemed bigger than life for like that era. Like mm -hmm. Cash Money was bigger than life. Rockefeller was bigger than life. Even to this day people are talking about like Rockefeller and Cash Money. That's just how Influential and impactful that era was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people be talking about QC and the impact that Migos, City Girls, and them little baby had. I yeah. think so. Yeah, I, I think so. I know they will. I mean, 10 billion streams, fam. That's a lot, and that's just over those four projects. Yeah, like that's not count what's coming out now and what's coming out in the next two to three years. Yeah, and that's one artist. One artist, and it's crazy, little baby. It's crazy how this moment is coming full circle, right? So your first. Um, Red Cup kickback, right? I met mm. two official promotions. Shout mm. out to two official, official what promotions. up, fam? So um, I ended up doing a promo with him. <laughs> when I first moved to Atlanta, I had no money. Yeah, My yeah. first, the, the day after I moved out there, I met up with him and he let me work for He's him. He's good people, man. Two official is good people. Put money in my pocket. He's a good dude. Definitely. And we were working Lil Baby's second mixtape. Okay. With my dog on it. Yeah, yeah. And dog, it was so crazy. Like, we, like Lil Baby had, because you know, like in Atlanta, it's different. Like the music industry is different here than it is in Atlanta. So like, artists will book a club that's already has a party that night and just put their face on the flyer saying that this is my mixtape release party. But nobody in the party knew that unless yep. you knew who Lil Baby was. Yep. So that's we smart. Were, that's strategic. Strategic as fuck. Yeah. So people were walking out of the club and we were passing out Lil Baby CDs and they were like, who the fuck is Lil Baby? Mm -hmm. And we were like, this is the person's <laughs> album release party you just left from. And that's like, great. Oh, okay, that's cool. smart. Yeah, yeah. But... Little baby ended up blowing up like two months later. Yep. And now he's like one of the biggest artists in the world. He's been so consistent. Yeah. And I remember that dude. He was a young dude with two watches on mm -hmm. <laughs> and a bunch of chains. And he yep. was with like 30 dudes. And just seeing his success and him becoming like an actual artist yeah. versus just a street artist is just so dope to me. And this and I, moment is full circle because I met him and him because of you. That's crazy. That's your kickback. It's crazy though because I. Now that you say that, one of the things I realized recently, like in the last couple of weeks, is I really love bringing people together. Yeah. That's why I was able to, uh, you know, and still able to do the Red Cup kickbacks for so long without really making bread off of it. Is I just love bringing people together like in an environment that allows people to have those type of conversations. Yeah. It's not like a club, motherfuckers popping bottles and VIP. It's just like a fucking little, you know, let's let's get together, let's relax, let's kick back, let's network type shit. So it's funny you mentioned that. That's a that's a dope story. I like that. I like that. That's not as real shit. That's, that's how it happens though. Like that's I mean, that, that's how shit happens in life. Yeah. It happens like that. Mm -hmm. Big shit like that happens because of shit like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And me, me and you. The Red Cup kickback. I met yeah. you. I was my second one, and I went there. I said, "I'm gonna meet B Lord, and I'm gonna interview him." That's facts. I wasn't gonna. I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I be grinding. I be editing my videos, doing podcasts. That's what I do I can in my tell. free time. Nah, real shit. So, I can tell. And I, just by that conversation we had outside the the venue for the Red Cup kickback, like within two two seconds to twenty seconds of talking to you, I was like, "Yeah, this motherfucker's working. He's grinding. He's smart. He's strategic, he, and he cares about um, he cares about what he's doing." That's super fucking important, man. We all want the money. We all want the bag. Um, but you got to give a fuck about what you're doing in one form or another. You yeah. know, I'm not saying you got to be a rap fanatic if you're a rapper. 
but you gotta give a fuck about the music. You gotta give a fuck about how you present yourself. You know, you gotta give a fuck about all that shit. Mm -hmm. You gotta care. You do. You yeah. do. And you gotta know the history a little bit to care. That about helps. It. You gotta know the history a little bit. And and you know what? History is relative, dog. Like kids today, like Playboy Cardi, he always say Chief Keef is his favorite rapper. Mm -hmm. He knows history. He knows his history. He knows something about hip hop yeah, yeah. that came before him. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So history is relative. You ain't got to know about Grandmaster Flash, nah. but you know about the history and the people that came before. Because it, it gives you context as an artist and as a person. Like you know, you kind of like you're aware of your place in the overall landscape. Mm -hmm. So that allows you to be a little more strategic about how you approach the music, mm -hmm. about how you approach the marketing of the music, mm -hmm. about the producers you work with, about yep. just sound. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Just knowing people that came before you, knowing the music and how they did shit, it just gives you more context and more shit to go off of. It allows you to be more strategic because mm -hmm. you're aware. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree, man. Uh -huh. Yep. And it gives you some inspiration, too. Something that to aspire too. to be like. Nah, that's important. Something to aspire to be like. I that's mean, important. You don't necessarily want your career to be just like theirs. But, I mean, of course, you wanted to resemble it a little Cause bit. Because you see his story. You see where he came from yeah. and where he went with it. So it's, let, it's letting you know I got a shot at this shit, too. Mm -hmm. It's like Master P is probably one of the most inspirational persons in music to me because um, at a time when P started bubbling with his whole movement, Louisiana didn't have anybody. New mm -hmm. Orleans didn't have, like, you know, it was no successful rap artist who made it on a national scale from Louisiana. So being from South Carolina, I could relate to that. And, you know, we watched what Master P did with No Limit and the whole movie and how that shit exploded and then him doing movies and all this other shit and other, other type of businesses. So that right there, what you just said, is one of the reasons why he's so inspirational to me because he lets you know it's possible. Shit like that lets you know it is possible. Yeah. Yeah. It lets you know it's possible, man. And and a lot of times, people don't want to take the steps that P took. P literally not. is the definition of independent in all aspects, whether it's down to rap snacks, down to mm, music, down yeah, to exactly. movies, all of that shit. He's the definition of independent. Yeah. And you know, like, my, um, I guess you can call it my muse or somebody that I aspire to be like is Nipsey Hussle. Mm. And it's not even, I don't want to be a rapper. I tried rap. It nah, didn't work, it. dog. But, you know, <laughs> I was actually a pretty decent oh, he's rapper. A rapper? Yeah, man, for like two years. You got some shit on YouTube that we can look up? SoundCloud. Shaq <laughs> Sims. It's called the SSEP. Ah, right, you I never like know. 19. That shit might um, that shit might resurface. Now, when people see me, a lot of people see me and be like, yo, you should drop another mixtape. Okay. I'm not going to do it, though. Sorry. Never know. <laughs> never say never. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I might be a little size, a little quick lick, real yeah, quick. Yeah, it might be, man. This podcast, do some numbers, man. Blow up, man. I get this streaming money and mm. stop rapping. Mm. Go on a little tour after that. Never know. Yeah, I'm done rapping. I'm gonna just tour and tour my podcast. That'd be dope, man. I can do like a rap tour <laughs> podcast. Oh, now you really thinking about that shit, right? Nah, listen, man. <laughs> I got some stuff in the works, man, and that might fit into that. It might, bro. Damn. Never say never. Damn, be Lord. But um, I aspire to be like Nipsey, man, because Nipsey literally, you know, he was a rapper, mm -hmm. but he didn't pigeonhole himself. Yep. One of the things that was bigger than his music before his music got big was his clothing line. Right. And look, Nipsey, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but he was smart. Like, he he, he put thought into what he did. Like, yeah. when he dropped the mixtape, the $100 mixtape shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, he constantly, him and his team was, like, constantly figuring out ways to get people's attention. Yeah. To do shit different, to try different shit. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, I, it's a common thread you see with people who are, who are successful. It's always that common thread of, thread of people 
um, figuring out new ways to break through. Like you were talking about little baby doing a release party at a club that's already popping. Just little little simple shit like that. Mm -hmm. little, little nuances and shit that you could figure out just to get the edge um, and get ahead and get recognition. I think that's the common thread that runs between all successful people in hip hop and in business. Mm -hmm. You know, they figure out new and innovative and creative ways to get ahead, ways to make it work. Mm -hmm. You feel me? And I think that comes with consistency. Like, if you just keep going and keep doing what you're doing, you'll figure out different it's ways. It's part of the process. Facts, man. Dude, it's just like fucking up is part of the process. You're yeah. gonna fuck up. You might fuck up 10 times, but that 11th time might be that one time where you figure that shit out. You know, it's just part of the process. You find your groove. Yeah, definitely. You find yeah, your groove. I did a post on Instagram about that shit yesterday. I should said, the magic you're looking for is in the work you're avoiding. You know, if you do the work, the magic happens. You feel me? It, it does. does. It's it really part does. of the process. It does. It comes out of the work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to avoid it. If you're really doing the work and you're really serious about it and you're putting in the work and you're putting your mind into it and your heart into it, it's almost impossible not to not to succeed. Yeah, man, and, and it's so crazy how things just work in your favor when you keep going. Mm -hmm. When you just keep fucking going, like, and then you know when you put it in the atmosphere, because like I didn't believe in manifestation, like manifesting things, speaking it into existence. Right. But it's so crazy, like every time I put something in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It, it appears, man. Like that night when I went to the Red Cup kickback, because I didn't plan on coming. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know about it. So right. I woke up, I'm like, oh, Red Cup kickback. First thing that was on my timeline, mm -hmm. I'll hit my homie. I'm like, yo, you want to go to the Red Cup kickback? I want to meet B-Lord so I can interview him. <laughs> this is a fact. And matter of fact, Seti B is my cousin because I called Seti B. Seti B. Seti B was Fuck like, with tequila. See, Seti B was like, B-Lord going to charge you, bro. B-Lord going to charge you. I'm like, nah, man, this for the city, man. B-Lord not going to charge what, me. What, charge you for the podcast? Yeah. Hell nah. Yeah. Fuck, I look like charging for, nah. Seti, Seti know, so he knows where my mind is at, though. Yeah, it's all about the bag, baby. <laughs> but I'm like, nah, man, B-Lord not that type of dude, man. Nah, man. He not like, that type I'm, of dude. I'm getting just as much out of this on some real shit as you are because, um, uh, this is part of the process. Going back to the process, like this is part of the process of just life and building and growing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just chopping it up with people like yourself, mm -hmm. other people. I got another quote. Hold up. Go ahead and talk about something because I gotta find this fucking quote. Oh yeah. So um, that day I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna meet B Lord tonight," and literally I was in the Red Cup kickback. I saw you walking around. Yeah. And my I homie, we, he was like, "You wanna go outside and smoke?" I'm like, "All right, cool." And I swear to God, he was like right in my view. I'm like. It was, magic. It, was magic. Shot, it was magic. Open shot, baby. It was magic. Open shot, baby. It was meant to happen. It was meant to happen. Not real shit. It was meant to happen. And so here's the quote, right? It says, we are all still striving, and it is the strivers who should be our peers, not the proud and the accomplished. So, right? You're my peer because we're both still striving. That's why I'm doing the podcast and I'm not charging for it because I'm, I'm part of the process. You're part of the process. You feel me? That I'm getting just as much out of this as you are. Who the fuck knows what's going to come out of this podcast for me? You feel me? Because mm -hmm. we're, we're strivers. We're, we're still, we still know it's a long ways to go. I'm still in that same fucking process. You feel me? Mm -hmm. I might, it, it might be a different process for me than it was 5 or 10 or 15 years ago, but it's still a, pro it's a lifelong process. Like The process never stops mm. unless you choose to quit or you choose to stop, but the process never stops. And that's what you see with people who like, you know, you, you mentioned Jay-Z earlier. You see that he never stops. 
it changes, it grows, it develops and turns into other shit, but the process never stops. And he always starts new chapters in his business endeavors and his life. Exactly. He and, does so many different things. And he accepts he accepts the growth. He's not trying to like be what he was five years ago. You feel me? Mm -hmm. He's accepting the growth. And that's what I mean, that's life. That's living like that's living life to its fullest potential. You know, and I, I don't know if that's for everybody. Um, but it's definitely for some people, you know, people like yourself who uh, care and who put put the, uh, you know, do the work. It, it's definitely for us, the strivers, people who strive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I aspire to be like those guys, man, because I know this is a right. common theme with all successful people. Yeah. It's a common theme. And I'm like, man, had I known this shit 10 years ago, right. I'd be so rich right now. But it's like, you know, you learn everything in due time. Yep. But I know this is a common thing with those guys, man. They never stop and they never pigeonhole themselves. Nah. They'll never say, yo, I'm just a rapper. I'm not going to do that. What I look like caring about real estate. Yep. What I look like caring about this. Like, who would have thought Jay-Z from 96 coming out with Reasonable Doubt with uh, painting ass on his <laughs> album intro talking about selling cocaine and shit would be working for the NFL as a commissioner yeah. or whatever the hell he is. And, and all this other shit. He, he's just, involved in so much shit. It's so like, much. It's crazy. Yeah, who would have thought Jay-Z? You yeah, know look, what I mean? Look at somebody like Kevin Hart outside of music. Someone like Kevin Hart, the same shit. Yeah. Like, he started off doing stand-up <clears throat> in Philly in those little hole-in-the-wall clubs and shit when he was like 17, 18, 19 or whatever. Now look at him now. You know, it's so many examples, and um, I think, like you said earlier, the common theme or the common thread on all that is just not giving up, just not stopping. Of course, you want to be successful enough along the way to maintain, mm -hmm. but that just because you gain a certain amount of success or whatever doesn't mean you stop. Mm -hmm. Why would you stop? Yeah. You know, if that's what you want, and maybe everybody don't want that. Maybe some people want to secure the bag and then fall back and do something different. That's cool, too. But again, like the way the, the way I feel and the way I know that I'm built is that it's, it never it never ends. Yeah, it's gonna always be something new that you want to do. Always. And then you're gonna have to keep becoming fresh at whatever it is that you do. Yeah, because you're gonna you, have it, to. It's it, new ways. It's, if it's something new that you're trying, you're gonna fuck up. Yeah, and you even know? it's something that you've been doing for 20 years, like DJing. Mm -hmm. Serato came into the play. Exactly. Throwing your vinyl away. Ain't no more carrying the crates. Nah, you don't need an assistant no more, real man. To carry the crates for you, man. And, and when shit like Serato comes along, it gives you a chance to innovate. Mm -hmm. It gives you a chance to uh, do shit different, which is good. Yeah. You know, I saw a lot of DJs who fell off because they didn't want to change. They wanted to keep doing the shit that was working for them five years ago. But we all know business and life and whatever, the shit that was working five years ago isn't guaranteed to work tomorrow. Mm. You know, the shit that worked a year ago or two months ago is not guaranteed to work for you tomorrow. You got to constantly stay strategic. Yeah. You know, you got to pay attention, see what the fuck's going on and adapt when you need to. Right. Right. Now, speaking of adapting, right, and things changing. You know, oh, you it's going to be a part two to this interview. Fact. This is part one. This is part one. By <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be, yeah. It's, I mean, to cut this you man off. got a crazy history. But, um, you know, speaking of things changing, you know, you've seen it go from tapes to mm -hmm. mixtapes, to albums, to streaming. Yeah. What before streaming? It was LimeWire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I jacked Power the music. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it came to streaming, right? Yeah. So how was the mixtape era? Cause you were like heavy into the mixtapes. Like how was that? Was that lucrative for you? Um not not on a money not money wise it wasn't very lucrative. Okay. But 
it allowed you, it wasn't no limits to what you could do. Like as long as you was willing to do the tapes, get the tapes out, you know, drive around to the different bootleg spots and stores and shit. Um, it was just a super good way to get new music out. Mm -hmm. It was a super, uh, it was a good way to build your fan base, to get people to fuck with you as a DJ. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's almost like streaming now. Like it, it's really what you're willing to put in to get it done. Mm. It was like no limits to the shit. You know, yeah. it was stores up and down the East Coast that sold mixtapes. Yeah. You feel me? So yeah. if you was willing to do the groundwork, do the footwork, make the calls, do the networking to meet all those different people um, at those different stores and willing to get them the actual fucking hard copies of the tapes and work out the deals that you was willing to work out, then, uh, like I said, it was no limit. It was people like Drama who fucking, you know, that shit was massive for drama. It was massive for hip hop. Yeah. But for drama specifically as a DJ, it was like without mixtapes, we probably would have never heard of drama. And without drama doing what he did with Gangsta Grills, mixtapes probably would have never been became so big that the feds came in and eventually started shutting the shit down. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the mixtapes was just another form of like doing what the fuck you want to do as long as you're willing to put in the groundwork. It's like the work. internet. That was like the internet. Pre-internet. That was internet. like the internet, the mixtape era, because you could really, like, it was no, because, you know, it was kind of hard to, like, put your own CD and stuff like that together and get it out to the masses. Yeah. But, like, when the mixtapes came, you could literally, like, I remember somebody put somebody, a conversation with somebody, baby mama on the mixtape, dudes was beefing, like, it was and phone that shit conversation. Went viral. That shit through went CDs. Through, in the streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But it was like the internet, pre-internet, like, yeah, you could really shit. do what you want to do. In it the was like the slow, super slow version of the internet. Super slow, but yeah. dog, word travel fast back then. Real shit. Word travel fast, man. Nah, that's real shit. Yeah, word yeah, travel yeah. fast. Now, you brought up drama, and that was going to be my next question. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, drama got raided by the feds, for those who don't know. That's why, you know, you don't really hear too much gangster grills yeah um and that's man that was an era man that was yeah and i think era. that was a part of the um the record industry cracking down on like free music and i think that was all part of the big play to try to get music back under the record label's control mm. and i'm not saying it was right or wrong whatever drama and the mixtape djs was doing but i do think that was a big blow that was a big part of the music industry being able to get Back control of the music because like you said after the feds are uh, rated drama and them mixtapes took a hit like they was around for a little while you heard shit here and there but like motherfuckers were scared to do it because they knew the feds was um you know was on to that shit that was an era dog it was a huge era i miss them yeah do you I, miss I, I the gangs and grills too yeah yeah definitely just no just being able you doing your own mixtapes like just being able to do that nah, i definitely I'm, I'm about to uh it's a, a new creative way i'm gonna start doing mixtapes and maybe we'll talk about that in part two but i definitely miss it because it's a chance for a dj like being on the radio one thing being in the club is one thing but as a dj it gives you more freedom more creative freedom like i said you can do and say whatever the fuck you want to say on a mm -hmm. mixtape. You can put whatever music on there. You can say what the fuck you want to say. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm, I do miss that that creative outlet. And then dropping shit, them drops. Yeah, the drops. Oh my crazy. god! Yeah, the shit talking. Yeah, like talking that big boy shit. You motherfucking DJs don't know who the fuck I am by now. I'm going to start this shit over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, damn, three minutes on be ten minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, that's real shit. <laughs> now, were you scared when drama got raided? 
Nah, because like, I wasn't uh, I wasn't a huge player in, in the um, mixtapes like Drama was. Yeah. Like, Drama was killing it. And there was a lot of other DJs, like, that wasn't as high profile as Drama, but there was a lot of DJs who was eating off the, you know, the bootleg CDs and shit. So I wasn't, I wasn't worried at all. I wasn't, I wasn't on the radar. If I would have put out one mixtape back then, I'd have been scared. <laughs> I'd have got me a lawyer. Nah, they stopped doing that shit after Drama. Like, motherfuckers definitely was like, nah, it ain't worth it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, how do you feel about streaming, man? Like, as far as, like, the way the game has changed today, mm-hmm. when it comes to the music and shit like that, like, how do you feel about that? Like, I love do you streaming. miss it? Huh? Do you miss it when nah. people were selling CDs? Man, the way, the way things happen is the way it's supposed to happen, and I accept that because it's it's pros and cons to everything. I think the, the good shit about streaming, the first thing is the music industry starting to make money again. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Not that I give a fuck about the labels making money, but it creates a healthy environment for artists to have opportunities. If the labels, because the label is the plug regardless, you get to a certain point on your own, but at some point, you're probably going to need to partner with a label or some other entity to get you to the next step, like QC partnered with Capital for Lil Baby. Yeah. You need that big machine, right? So as long as the big machines are healthy again, they're eating, they got money, that means they have more bread to break with uh, imprints and artists, you feel mm-hmm. me? So streaming is helping the record industry become healthy again. Streaming is also obviously doing away with all the gatekeepers who were keeping artists from breaking their own music. Now you can break your own music as an artist. You feel me? Mm-hmm. You can go. Uh, it's it's a hustle. It's a grind. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's totally possible now. So yeah. now you got the best of both worlds. You able. You got an open landscape to do what the fuck you want to do with your music to move and network and get your music out. But you also have waiting for you a healthy music industry to pick you up and take you to the next step. Mm. And as long as you're edgy, like people talk about. The music industry ripping people off and fucking people, giving them bad deals. That's absolutely true. They do that. But they only do that if you let them do that. And if you don't have leverage. Exactly. They only do that if you let them do that. If you got your, if you have leverage and you're able to negotiate and you know what the fuck you're talking about, or you have a lawyer that knows what the fuck they're talking about, they can't do shit that you don't let them do. Mm-hmm. And yep. there has been a lot of deals like that in the past three to five years because artists got leverage now because of streaming. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's a beautiful thing. It's healthy. Yeah, and I was saying, um, did you do you miss the industry back when it was CDs? Because I mean, dog, looking at CD prices back then, fifteen, twenty five dollars, maybe thirty dollars for um, a two tape yeah. CD. Like, do you miss that type of bread? Because I'd imagine it trickles down to the DJs. I mean, I'd imagine it trickles down to the club promoters and everything because artists is making more money from their music and labels <clears throat> are too. The labels was definitely printing money back in those days. They was killing the game. And it was definitely trickling down to uh, everybody in the music business. But that creates too much comfort. Motherfuckers got too comfortable. Yeah. People became too comfortable with their positions, from the labels to the DJs to whoever. And that's why it got fucked up. And that's why it was so easy to shatter that model, that business model. Because everybody got too comfortable and too stuck on doing things one way. Yeah. That's yeah. why LimeWire and Napster and all those uh, pirate sites and shit was able to shatter that business model so quick because motherfuckers was too comfortable. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I missed some of the some of the aspects of it, but uh, not really. Yeah. yeah. It happened because it was supposed to happen. Was it more fun back then? What, being a DJ? Just the industry, period. 
Yeah, I mean, because for, for one reason and one reason only, because uh, they used to have these, like, music conventions, uh-huh. and, like, DJs used to get flued out for free, used to get all type of free perks and shit. So, I mean, yeah, that part was fun. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of missed that shit a little bit now that you mentioned it. <laughs> That shit had to be dope. Yeah, yeah, nah. That shit had to be dope. And then, like, the world felt much bigger back then, especially to me being a kid because it wasn't the internet. You know, you got the whole world in your hands. Literally, you can see right now how far it takes you to get to New Orleans. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, great point. But I think that's also um, just the progress we're making as humans and shit. As technology evolves, we become more aware of the actual landscape versus how we perceive it. Because mm-hmm. now, like you said, you can look on your phone and figure out almost anything. Literally. So everything isn't such this big mystery or this, ah. Uh, mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, that's how you do that shit. Yeah. So it's not really a big deal anymore. Yep. Yeah. Back then seemed fun, man. Looking at the videos back in the day. Because those that's when y'all had real music videos. Like, right, right. You know, I look back at videos like um, the first one that come to mind, and this is, I don't know why this came to mind. R. Kelly Fiesta video. Oh yeah, no, no, that was a crazy Bahamas video. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Big Pimp and Jay Z, like those were real. Yeah, that videos. was like the epitome fun. of those videos for that era, like the Hype Williams type videos, the fun. million dollar budgets and shit. Yeah, but again, they were fucking waste that money, man. Yeah, they didn't they have to shoot a million dollar video to sell those albums. Them shits would have sold themselves. So again, I don't know. it might have. They might not have though. You don't think so? Without them videos, because Image was everything back then. Literally, your image was everything. Like, if you got caught with your pants down, like, <laughs> you you was dead out here. True. Fact, like, you were dead. Like, I remember being a kid, like, yeah. nigga, 50 Cent say Ja Rule whack? Nigga, I'm not listening to that. It was nigga, done. Nah, that's a good dub. point. That's He's a good done. point. But to that to that point though, that go I think that goes more back to the power of the artist versus the perception and the money that was spent. Cause 50 at that time was uh he was the new motherfucker. He was the hot motherfucker. And Ja Rule was kind of like the motherfucker who been doing this shit. It was just image. Like like I said, uh, you get caught with your pants down. Jay-Z, you're, even as a kid, I knew Jay-Z was the money man. Money ain't a thing. You had to have an extravagant million dollar video. True. You I'm had to be at, able to paint that picture. You had to. Whatever yeah. it was. I don't care. If that was your was. image or if you was DMX and that wasn't your image, then maybe you didn't need the million dollar video. You didn't. But I don't, you know, I feel like DMX probably didn't have million dollar. Well, nah. X gonna give it to you was a million dollar video. He nah, he, he he had million dollar videos later in his career. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, because X was selling like ten million copies of an album. And he came out with two in one year. One year, he was the only <laughs> artist to do that shit or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that shit was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where were you at in this era? Like, of all I would just, shit. like, just get warmed up, like, just starting and shit, like, just starting to build my contacts. I would, like, drive around. I would go to, like, Miami to the music conferences, go to New York. Um, I used to spend a lot of time in VA. I used to drive up and down 95 a lot. Just, like, build, building my brand, you know what I'm saying? Passing out free CDs, passing out flyers and shit, building um, relationships. It's funny, my man who actually sent me this plaque from Capitol, I've known him for, like, 15 years. Mm. You know, he's been working in the music industry ever. He's, like, one of those first contacts like with you and two official, kind of mm-hmm. like one of those day one type motherfuckers that y'all just kind of connected mm-hmm. and um, built a long standing relationship. So I was just really getting started, and all that shit was inspirational. And it's um, like back in the day, we used to go down to Miami to those music conferences, and you could actually like meet like Diddy, like you could meet fucking uh, Hov and them. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You could roll up on them and like actually chop it up. So I think I think um, you said something earlier that the like the internet and streaming kind of broke the boundaries down, um, which at the end of the day, even though that shit seemed more fun back then, I think the current model 
is definitely a better model. And I think it's healthier. It is. You know what I'm saying? Like, just for people in general. Like, back then, it's like, you know, you aspire to spend that type of money and do the type of shit they was doing. But that's not necessarily realistic for 99.9% of the people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Now we have a much more, like, diverse and comprehensive view of what it actually is to be an artist. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. I think that's better. I think that's more healthy. Yeah, and I think when you give people a choice, Mm -hmm. um, people will choose what they want to do. Like, you got kids like YBN, Corday, right? Right. Yeah, you got different lanes you can go down. He's with YBN. Like, YBN, Namir, they got diamond chains and necklaces. This dude don't wear no jewelry. Yeah, yeah. We gave him a choice with this era. Absolutely. you know, he can blow up in this era being him. Yeah, people can be themselves. Yes, bro, but when you give people, um, when people have no choice, like J. Cole said it, when he came out with that song, (laughs) You Got a Good Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was trying to be somebody he wasn't so he could blow up so he can make the songs like K.O.D. and albums like that, you know what I mean? It it is way healthier now than it was back then, and I like it that way too. And then at the same time, um, people can't hold their nuts on you just because they're a star no more. Real like, shit. They can't hold their nuts on you. It's like, bro, what your numbers doing? You got academics posting first week sales every time an album That's comes real out. Shit. So the facade is easy to break down these yeah, days. Can't like, hold it's not all that somebody. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it's dead. And I think that's important. That's not only important for the state of the music industry. I think that's just important for uh, like the people mm-hmm. to know what the fuck is really going on so you can make your decisions based on what the fuck is really going on versus what they want you to think is going on. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense, man. You know what I mean? And a lot of artists can do their own thing. And people in general, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you yeah, can man. do your own thing and build your own lane. You know what I'm saying? So when did you know that you wanted to be more than just a DJ? Because, of course, you're throwing parties. You got mixtapes. You're going all around the country, going to all of these different events, yep. building relationships. Yep. But now you're an actual <clears throat> businessman as far as having your own alcohol brands, having sponsorships with yeah, alcohol, yeah. throwing I, these events. Like, to be honest, from the beginning, I knew I wanted to do other shit than, D, than music. And to me, why DJing was so perfect was because it was just, it was the vehicle that allowed me and other people like me just to do other shit. Like, you can be a DJ and do a bunch of other shit. It, it depends on what you want to do. Yeah. Like, being a rapper, because perception is so important, it's hard to be a rapper and then start a marketing company. Facts. People might not take you as serious. Me as a DJ, and people know that i am got my hands on other shit and I'm doing other shit and I'm capable of other shit, I can start a marketing company. Mm-hmm. And people will take, take, take me, not only take me seriously, but they, all, they look at that, my career as a DJ, as an asset to my marketing company, because now I got all these years of experience in the music business and all these relationships with different people and different parts of the co- company, it actually makes my market, marketing company uh, more valuable. Mm-hmm. So I always knew it was something else. But the love for music has always been there, but as soon as I figured out that I could actually make a living being a DJ is when I realized I wanted to do other shit on top of that, mm. you know? And there's been a ton of side hustles I had that I tried to branch out and do that didn't work. Like I tried to blog back in the day. Um, and other different little side shit that didn't work, but the things that did work, like the alcohol shit and the marketing shit and all that, made it all worth it, mm-hmm. you feel me? Yeah. And um, it's almost come to a part, a point in my life where the DJ and it's second nature, like I still love it. Um, and it's almost to the point where I feel like sometime in the near future, it's gonna have to be somebody else that steps up and does what I do 
from the DJ side because I'm not, not that I don't want to do it anymore, but I'm not going to be able to do it anymore because I got so much other shit going on. Yeah. And I'm interested in other shit. Like, I love music. I love being a, like, I could literally be a DJ for the fucking rest of my life until I physically couldn't do it anymore. Because you're that snapped and you've been doing it that long. And, and I love it. Like, bro, people, people, like, talk about how when they get older, they hate going to the clubs because it's, dude, the club is like my second home. I've been going to clubs every fucking weekend since I was 16. I don't pay to get in the club. I don't wait to get in line. I don't pay for drinks. Like, it's like my second home. So what is there to be mad? What is there to not like about it? Yeah. And I get paid to do it. And I'm only working three, four hours when I'm there. Mm. And it's working. Working is playing records and talking shit on the mic. Yeah. It's like taking candy from a baby. So why wouldn't I want to do that for the rest of my life? Like I said, the only reason I wouldn't do that for the rest of my life is because I got too much other shit going on that I want to do. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's how it's going to happen. So don't get happy. <laughs> Are you other DJs nah. thinking you about to take his spot? And it's not even <laughs> about the other DJs. It's just like I've had dude, I remember when I first started getting a little name and shit when I was like 19, 20. Mm -hmm. I remember this dude asked me, How much long do you think you really gonna DJ? I was like, bro, I just got started and people have literally been asking me that my entire life. Cause they don't un they they don't understand this shit. They don't understand passion, bro. They don't understand passion, and they don't understand me. Like they don't understand what it means to me to be a DJ. Mm. Like it's literally like it's a gift from it's a. I don't want to sound dramatic. It's a gift from God. If it wasn't for DJing, like who knows what the fuck I would be doing. DJing has allowed me to do all this other shit. DJing allows me to be here with you to have these conversations on a platform to where other people actually might give a fuck enough to listen to what I'm talking about. That's a huge gift. Yeah. You know, a lot of people want that and don't have it and don't know how to get it or and may never have it. So I don't take that for uh, I don't take it for granted. I really don't. Yeah. Like I said, the only way I'm going to stop DJing or even slow down DJing if it comes to a point where I literally don't have time to do it. And I honestly hope that time never comes. Matter of fact, that time will never come. I'm going to say it now. I'm never going to just stop DJing. Right. I might slow down. I might not do as many gigs or radio or whatever, but like I'm going to always fucking DJ. There's no way around it. Now, it, when you're 60-something years old, because you're still going to be... I'm telling Up you, I'm gonna be the oldest gonna be fucking DJ on the planet, fam. You gonna be in the clubs? Like, yes. are you gonna be in clubs for your age group, or are you gonna be watch. in the watch 18 what I to do. 35 demo? Nah, gonna it's gonna be, be like demo? it's gonna be like 25 to 35. 25 to 35 demo. Okay, okay. <laughs> but watch what I do. Yeah, watch you gonna what? innovate? You gonna do something different? Bring something different to the game? It's just too much fun, fam. Like, that'd be like asking, um, like, what's who's a good? That'd be like asking fucking Charlie Wilson why is he still on stage singing? And doing concerts. Because he love it. Yeah. He don't have to. He definitely don't got to do that shit. Yeah. Or the Rolling Stones or any of these other motherfuckers who've been around for 40 plus years and they still touring. Yeah. They doing it because they love that shit. And it's like, why wouldn't I do it? It's easy. Yeah. At this point, it's easy. Like, why the fuck wouldn't I do it? It's not I almost, you. I almost feel bad, like, turning down gigs. It's like, yo, why am I going to turn this down? <laughs> when this is all I ever wanted, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's one of those situations. I'm just happy to be here for real. It means you care though. I do. I give a feeling fuck. bad that you turning down gigs. Yeah, absolutely. That 16 year old kid is still in you. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And your pops too. He like, look, man. I still know pops around. need his 10 percent, so I gotta keep working. Hey, pops need his 10 percent. <laughs> he about to up the price now. Yeah, he see this shit. He definitely gonna go up. <laughs> he gonna up the price. <laughs> now, happy juice. Uh huh. Dog, I remember you talking about happy juice. Hold up, hold up, hold up. 
part this would be a good time. Part two. Nah, part cause two. that that's where that's where the game changes for me. Okay. In a in a big way. That's part the, two. Yeah, definitely we could talk about that more in part two. Part Cause two. that's like chapter two. Okay. Yeah. Chapter two. It's a it's a, it's it's a, I got a lot to say though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause there's a lot that went on from the time uh like Happy Juice as an idea was created until like recently, a year and a half ago, where um we was able to like uh we was able to make some 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 good things happen financially with with that whole that whole lane, yeah. And I want to talk about it. I just got one question. I, I I just got one question. Okay. How is the bag? You ain't gotta tell me because like this part two. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna give them something to we we were aspire. Let's do. How was the bag? <laughs> Did your life change? Because dog, I don't think people understand, man. Mm-hmm. This man was in retail stores. Selling a product that he created. Yeah, the biggest retailers in America, Walmart, Kroger's, you know, all, all the big dogs that are pretty much impossible to get into. And I can't even take credit for that. That was my, my, my partners for the most part that uh, behind the scenes. I got an international uh, business attorney who was my partner. And then I got a beast of a serial entrepreneur and hustler, my man DeAnthony. And, uh, you know, they, they had a lot to do with those those big scores like Walmart and all that. But we, I, I really do want to talk about all that because I think it's lessons. It's definitely, it was huge lessons in that for me. But I think it's some shit that we could talk about um, that other people can learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's those type of opportunities that, that don't, they don't come, they come along like once in a lifetime. And if you're scared, you'll never get the opportunity. It's, a, it's an opportunity that that it's a huge risk, uh-huh. and you 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 got to be willing to like sacrifice a lot to even attempt to try it. And if you're scared to do it, you'll you'll never reap not only the the bag benefits, but just the learning and the growth benefits, which are definitely just as important or more important than the bag. Mm. If you're a striver and you want to do this shit forever, so yeah, we definitely gonna talk part two. I promise. Part two on yeah. the way, and, baby. And we do we doing part two outside. Yeah, we're doing it outside. It's going to be a dope in the, scenery. In the daytime. It's going to be a dope scenery, a dope vibe. It's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. something different from Muddy Waters if I never did one outside. I always wanted to do one. Outside. It'll be dope. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, man. Be Lord, I thank you. Thank you, bro. Part one, man. Absolutely. Part one. Yeah. I didn't know it was going to be a part two until I got here. He was like, we're going to do a part two. I said, hey, man, whatever you want to do. It just makes sense. Whatever though. you want to do, baby. Because nah, it does. Make we sense. already been with like two hours. Yeah, man. I told you it'd take a little minute. It'd take a little minute, Let's do man. part two. Time flies when you're having fun, though, For right? real, man. And talking about real shit. Talking about real shit, man. But yeah. I enjoyed having you on, man. And part two, y'all tune in for part two. Yeah. Tell the people where they can find you at, social media and all of that. You know, it's DJ B-Lord on the gram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, I got some other shit to talk about part two, too. It's the next big thing for me, um, you know, business-wise, career-wise. Okay. And we'll probably be ready to give them the website and all that shit by the time we talk next time. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, man. Because he'll probably end up surprising me with it. He probably won't even tell me about it until we do the interview. Probably. I'll find out on camera just like y'all. Yeah. Yeah, but Muddy Waters. Salute. We out. Yeah, man.